0: Is it just me or does the Bible sometimes say things that sound really like it's not reality? For instance, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. I worry about tomorrow every single day. And I have kids and I worry about them. And sometimes I feel like, forgive me if you're a visitor, (laughs) My church family knows me. Sometimes I feel like the Bible's wrong when it says things like that, and I don't mean that in a in a heretical way. I don't mean that in a way like I don't believe the Bible's inspired. I'm not saying that the Bible has you know is uh, is not in, God's word, God's inspired word. All I'm saying is that sometimes it doesn't fit the reality of my life, and yet it is extremely meaningful. Amen. Let's pray as we get started. God, as we open up the holy book now, we open up your word, may we have a fresh perspective um, as to what has been written for thousands of years. May you open our hearts and our minds to the message that you would have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning we are, first, before I get started, by the way, thank you, um, Bin He, or Seed, as we say (laughs) in English. Um, I don't know how you guys make your voices sound the way they do, and but I am just blessed by it. I could sit here through a whole concert and just enjoy it. And, um, and, and I don't know, but I was closing my eyes. I wasn't falling asleep. I was simply allowing the music to carry me into prayer. And it was just extremely powerful. And um, we'll make sure that we have a link on our website to your website so that if people want to follow more, um, it's just beautiful. And so we are thankful, thankful to you guys. Um, this morning, we are continuing our sermon series, part two of The Victorious Limp. Now... As we said last week, oftentimes the Christian experience or the people that are Christians, we talk about being um, a faith that is the victorious walk. So, with Jesus and with God on our side, we can walk victoriously. The problem is that it doesn't always feel like we're victorious. Sometimes we take shots in our life. Sometimes there are things that hurt us, that bother us. There are words that are said that hurt us. And so, sometimes the Christian life doesn't seem so victorious. It doesn't always seem perfect, because that's real life. This morning we are continuing, and the title of the sermon is, What Are You Really In Need Of? And so I want to show you a picture to kind of get our conversation started. And here's what it says, God, please protect me. And you see the rock, and then he says, why God, why? Then he looks up, and what does God say? I'm sorry, did I miss one? Are you all right? And it's the idea that We think God is like our bodyguard And God's not supposed to let anything bad ever happen to us But what we find in the Bible is that bad things happen to people all the time What we find in the Bible is because we don't live in a perfect place And we don't live in heaven or the Garden of Eden Because everything isn't the way it's supposed to be Sometimes people get sick Sometimes people have um, illness that isn't curable Sometimes we experience broken relationships. Sometimes we experience destructive tendencies. Sometimes things don't go the way they're supposed to in our mind. And yet God says, I, I'm doing so much. And so really it becomes a question of are you a person that sees the glass half full or half empty? Because when it comes to thinking about God, you either see God as a God who holds all things together, as a God who has everything, as a God who can give everything, and as a God who continually blesses you. So do you have a picture of God that is a God of abundance? Or is your picture of God a picture of a God of scarcity, of little? How many you well, You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to know. But how many of us... To how many of us has this happened where a friend of ours gets a brand new car awesome car. And we're just like, man, I wish I had that car. When I was in high school, I was 16 years old. Um, Some of you may appreciate this. Um, I was 17 years old. My parents, we don't come from a rich family. So at 16, I didn't get a car. And at 17, I don't think I got a car. But when I was a senior in high school, one day my dad rolls up to the house. And I don't even have a picture of this. I should have because it would have proved the point. He drove up. (laughs) With a 1988, this is in 2000. This is in 1999. A 1988, yeah, Dodge Turbo Conquest. You guys don't even know how to laugh because you don't even know what that looks like. It wasn't so bad, except that it said turbo on the on the handles, on the on the seat belts, on the back. And so I parked in our parking lot, like at the school. And all of my friends would see it, so they would start calling me, hey, it's Turbo. I'm just like, At around the same time, my friend that lived two doors down that I've known my entire life, and I continue to be friends with him, got an almost brand new Z28 Camaro at 16. It was the ones with the new bodies, not the new new bodies, but the nicer ones. I was just like, where is the Fairness. And I just was like, I want, I didn't even like Camaros. I'm a Mustang guy, but I was like, I want that Camaro. Why do I have this dumb Conquest? It lasted about two months because it was leaking gasoline. It's like, thanks, Dad. But I wanted that. In a world of Mercedes, BMWs, and Lexuses, there is want. In a world of Fortune 500 companies, big corporations, there is want. In a world where some people have houses with five bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms, a white picket fence, an acre of land, there is want. In a world of Saks Fifth Avenue, and I'm not talking about off Saks Fifth, and Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's, there is want. This past two weeks ago, I was visiting my brother, and um. He just got a new BMW, and, um, and I had to I, I meet him somewhere, and I've never driven a high-caliber car like this. And I was driving from uh, one town into downtown Chicago, and I was driving faster and faster, and I realized, I want one. We want, and we want, and we want because we live in a world where we are bombarded with advertisements that if you have this product, your life will be better. Advertisers are no longer advertising products. They are advertising happiness and completeness. I was reading about an advertiser where he says, we, we're not selling products. He goes, what we're selling... Is really something that's more existential. He goes, We've taken what churches do and we're applying it to our products because if they get this product, then they will have more meaning. Which is why every time Apple announces a new iPhone, even if it's the iPhone 4S that everybody was upset about because you're waiting for iPhone 5, some of you don't care, but I'm explaining the process so you understand what I mean. Everybody complained that it wasn't the iPhone 5 and yet everybody still went out and waited hours in line to get it. Because we want. Because it's better. Because giving voice commands is better than texting with your finger. Because we want. We live in a world that we're constantly being told to have more, to have this, to have that because if you have it, then your life will be complete, then it will be better then everything will work out except that that's a total fallacy. It's a fallacy because every every new technology becomes old a month later. Every new car, those of you who've tried to sell your car, is worth less and less. Almost everything in life depreciates and we want more. And yet with that in mind, The psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And there's two levels to this. One one commentator says that the text should really read, so long as the Lord is my shepherd, I will suffer no lack. Now that's a weird sounding phrase. As long as I trust God, I will have what I need. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, but there's a whole lot more that I could possibly use. I could really go from renting to owning a house. That would make things better. I could really go from driving this clunker to driving a brand new car. It doesn't have to be a BMW. It'll be, it could be like a Toyota. Nothing against Toyotas. But we think that if we, if we just go from this place in our lives to the next, next place, then things are going to get better as soon as I get this promotion, as soon as I get this raise, as soon as I, as soon as I. And what happens is we go through our entire life wanting the next thing because we believe that then our life will be better. And what happens is we look back and we realize we've lived our entire life. And the psalmist says, as long as the Lord is your shepherd, you shall suffer no lack. So there's that side of it. And then there's just the human side of I want i want i want and we all want different things for me it may be one thing for you it may be something completely different but i would say that for the most part we're constantly desiring and wanting more and so i want to read a text in deuteronomy so i just want to share with you like as i was working on this message um, what we do here is i have like outlines and passages and texts that i have for like the next three months of stuff right and um, you, have, you start with one text, and then you keep adding and adding and adding to help you illustrate and understand that first text. With this one, it just kept going and going and going. So I'm going to do the best I can to get through this. Um, if it's Bible-heavy this morning, it's a good thing we're in church. And, um, and then just write this down, and maybe it'll be something you can come back to in the future. But Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, God is speaking through Moses to the Israelites, to this group of people who had been slaves in Egypt, and now God frees them, but they're in the desert. And this is what it says Surely the Lord God has blessed you in all your undertakings. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked what? Let me explain this. They went from the biggest empire, Egypt. And they pretty much had everything they needed there. Granted, they were slaves, and they made bricks, but they had all the food they wanted. They had everything they needed. It was the biggest empire. Pharaoh was king. He was a god king to the people. Every, I mean, it, it, they had everything. And then this other god, the god of scripture, comes in. He rescues them from this pretty awesome place. It, understand what I mean by that? Like they had everything. It was rich and all that stuff. Beautiful architecture, all of that. He takes them from that, and then he leads them on a journey of 40 years through the barren wilderness. Another way of saying it, through the desert. There weren't any trees. There wasn't anything. It was literally desert upon desert upon desert, and they had to fend for themselves, and they had to build their own tents, and they had to do everything. So now understand this. Although you were a slave over here, but you had everything, or you were free people, and you had pretty much nothing. And what does it say? These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. They didn't die because of hunger. They didn't die because they didn't have enough water to drink. But they didn't have everything they wanted. So you could kind of put yourself in this text, and it may not be 40 years, but maybe for these last 29 years, these last 45 years, 35 years, 60 years, the Lord has been with you. And by the way, if you're still alive, obviously you've had enough to eat and enough to drink, even if it wasn't in abundance. Because some of you are saying, like, but there's a lot of things that will make my life better. You can't argue with the Israelites. They really had nothing. They were in the desert. They didn't have homes. They didn't have a lot of, you know, they were walking. They were grumblers. They were complainers. They were whiners. They couldn't see that what they actually had was better than the, than the slavery they were in. You see, sometimes your desires and mine, instead of making us happier, make us addicted to those things and then we become slaves to those things how many of you have ever tried to buy a phone when your contract um, wasn't ready for a renewal yeah you know how much those smartphones cost nowadays like six hundred dollars okay there was a point in my life where i was tempted <laughs> i had this awesome phone and then this newer phone came out and i wanted to get that one not the not the new iphone by the way <laughs> And it's expensive. And sometimes the things that you think are going to make your life better will just lead you into slavery. And you won't be happy. Sometimes I think there is virtue in poverty. Have you ever been poor? I've been a student. I've been poor. I know what it's like to make $1,000 a week in college. I did. That was a lot of money for being in college for working two or three days a week. I wasn't selling drugs. I was harvesting tissue it's a real job we made a lot of money and I also so I mean we were rich we would eat at Quiznos okay Quiznos was expensive back then and then I know what it's like to have $25 to get you through the I mean I know what it's like to sell my plasma to get money because we couldn't get jobs because it was just nowhere hiring and I know what it's like to make $25 extend a long time my sister can vouch for you she's here today that's what my brother and I did. <laughs> not a good idea. Don't do it. We'll give you food. Call me. We'll, we'll provide food for you. But have you ever noticed that when you have less, it kind of lasts a little bit longer? You kind of focus on other things rather than just desires and wants. You kind of begin to focus like, you know, hang out with your friends and your family, and you just hang out, but you don't have to go anywhere, and that's more fun than going to Disneyland. I don't know. Maybe not. Sometimes I think there's virtue in having less, in uncluttering your life. I'm not telling you to be poor, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying from my experience, sometimes we think that the less we have, we're missing out on so much more. But I don't think that that's true. And so I want to look at the story, this story, in a little bit more depth. And we have time, and we're going to be blessed with a little bit more singing after this. And so just sit back, and you're just going to want to read this through me. I'm going to read it kind of quick, but I want you to understand the story. The Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Yeah, never mind that all they were were slaves before, okay? Then the Lord said to them, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. Each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. Skip a few verses. This is what the Lord has commanded. We didn't miss anything important, by the way. It's just be really long, and, but read it tonight, today. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, this manna, this bread from heaven, an omer measurement to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tent. So if I was there, I would provide for my family. I would get enough for my family to eat. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it as much as each needed when the sun grew hot, it melted. Here's the point. This isn't a story about bread from heaven. This is a story about the people. Those who gathered more, well, right? If, if you've been in the wilderness, the idea is let's get as much as we can and store it because tomorrow we may not have any. And what does Jesus say a couple thousand years later? Don't worry about tomorrow. This is a story about whether the Israelites would trust God to provide for them. This was a story that is consistent from beginning until end of God as shepherd and as leader for the Israelites and for those of you and me today. This is a story about whether the Israelites would trust God that just as he said he would, that every single morning there would be bread on the ground apparently for them to eat and some of them didn't trust god they didn't and so they gathered more but god's like you keep missing the point when i say it i mean it i will give you every single day will you trust me and these words are true for us today now god may not rain bread from heaven But what God does is he has a church, a body of people who are willing to extend their hands with bread for those who are in need. God works through you and through me to help other people. God works through us because God has chosen to work through us, which means that we just can't sit back and say, well, God will take care of it. No, God needs you. He's choosing you. He has faith that you can be a part of the solution. But here, it says that they lacked nothing. For 40 years, they had everything they needed, which is different than everything that they wanted. And God provided every single day. And so the question that we are confronted with when we read a text like this is, do you trust God every single day? Do you trust God that some way, somehow, as difficult as life may be, that God will provide? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to live a lavish lifestyle. You're going to have everything you want. Sometimes it means we downsize, but then we still have more than what we need. Do you trust God every single day? And so we go to the words of Jesus. Oh, Did I go back? I think I doubled. There you go. And so then Jesus says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven Where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Metaphor. Because you can't store anything in heaven. It's not like the storage wars, those that show you watch on television, you know, it's not like, you know, you can't just go and you put, you know, your month down and you reserve a space. You can't store stuff in heaven. This is Jesus' way of saying, look, if you're, if you're trying to get happiness and life out of the things in your life right here, you're going to miss it. It's not life. You're going to have stuff, but it doesn't mean that it's going to make you happy or complete. He says, instead, think about who's in heaven. God, focus on the things. For perhaps it's better said this way. Focus on the things that will last into eternity. Focus on the things that you can take into eternity with you, which the last time I checked, you don't really get to take very much. And the only thing you have is yourself and the people that are around you. I don't know what heaven will look like. I don't think anyone does. But what we do know is that we will be there together. And perhaps the most important thing that we can do in storing our treasures in heaven is perhaps God saying, this is an issue of what do you value and what are your priorities and what is important. And for God, you are the most important thing in this world. And we should be each other's most important thing in this world, not things. So I'll give you one more story. Can I give you another story? I like technological gadgets, and um, uh, I don't spend a lot of money on the day-to-day stuff, but I end up spending money on gadgets. You can ask my wife. She's not in here today. She's outside with the kids. But it's true. I like it. I like gadgets. I think it's great. And so the other day, oh, so a while back, I bought an iPad. I bought an iPad, too. I had the iPod One, and then like made a trade and whatever. I got an iPad Two, awesome. And then three months later, it fell from the back seat of my wife's car, and it broke. I was like, "She's like, I'm just glad it didn't happen to me." (laughs) And I was just like, "Like, I don't think God did this to me. I I don't have that picture of God." However, here's what I learned things break and even when you fix them they don't work the same way I went to a guy who put a new screen on that I don't think is the right screen that's supposed to be on there and now there's places on the thing on the, on the screen that don't work exactly the way they're supposed to except that I signed the paper that says that I was okay with it so I can't really take it back it works, I mean it works that's this earth that's a meta- I can't afford another one That's life. That's just one small example of the things that we do with everything in our lives. Have you ever noticed when you get a new car, someone always slams their door and and dents it? That's life. And so for Jesus, he says, focus, invest in the things that last into forever. Invest in your wife and husband. Invest in your parents. Invest in your children invest in your co-workers invest in your teachers invest in the things that last into eternity because not only will those things last into eternity but they will be the most meaningful for you now invest invest and so we go to this next test text where it says so you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and I think it's appropriate to say or husband um, Their male uh, or female slave, which we don't have anymore, or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this is the 10th commandment. The 10th, thou shalt not covet. Some ancient Hebrew philosophers, theologians, writers, some say that if you follow the first nine, there's no need to covet. That that's a blessing. That if you do the first nine well, you won't be in need of anything. Because the sense is your heart, your soul will be so in sync with God that there is nothing more than you need. Which is the question that we continually ask from this platform is, is Jesus enough for you? Is God enough for you or do you want more? And that's a question you have to wrestle with yourself. Is Jesus enough for you? And we're going to skip over one passage. Oh, no, this is it. This is our final one. This is what Kat read for us this morning. Thank you, Kat. It sounded awesome. I, just could, I could keep listening. I loved it. This is what the scriptures say. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what we will drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who stri- and unbelievers at the time, okay, non-Christians for us today, who strive for these things and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Strive first for the kingdom of heaven. And everything you need will be given to you. If that's the thing you take away this morning, let it be that. I want, I want, I want. You're going to always want something. Jesus's, God's prescription, the antidote for wanting and wanting so much more, is to seek first the kingdom. And then you won't care about everything else. And what I mean by that is by physical, tangible things. You're going to care about a whole lot of other stuff if you, if you look for the kingdom of God first. You're going to care about the poor. You're going to care about the widow. You're going to care about the orphan. You're going to care about the person that is physically abused and emotionally abused. You're going to care about the people that are just trying to find their way in this world. You're going to care about a whole lot of other things if you seek the kingdom first. And it'll be a more meaningful life than you've ever lived. I know. I've never been rich, but I have my fair share of stuff that I've wanted. And true life, true meaning comes when we realize that this is God's world and He allows us to be a part of it and He asks us to be participators and cooperators with Him. And so as David begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We end with the words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom and you will have everything Let's pray. God, we are, we know that what the Bible says is true, but we don't always have an easy time accepting it. Because sometimes it seems like it's too good to be true. But this morning, Lord, we claim the promise that we want to seek the kingdom. We want to seek you first. We want to make you the center of our lives, Lord, and we need your help where we squeeze you out. We need your help where we, we don't make room for you. May we see the kingdom. May we feel it. May we be a part of it now. Help us to invest in the eternal things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hold